Father, we ask you to speak into our hearts and change our lives. We pray for your word to be clear to us and that we'd have hearts that would receive what you want to say to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was this guy, and he was an American tourist, and he was visiting a tiny little Mexican seaside village. And he saw this Mexican fisherman unloading his boat and noticed the fine quality of fish that he had. And he said, how long did it take you to catch those fish? And the Mexican man said, oh, not very long. And then the American said, then why didn't you stay out longer and catch more? And the Mexican explained that his small catch was sufficient to meet his needs and the needs of his family. And the American said, but what do you do with the rest of your time? And he said, well, I sleep late. He said, I fish a little. I play with my children. I take a siesta with my wife in the evenings. I go into the village to see my friends. I play the guitar. I sing a few songs. I have a full, wonderful life. Well, the American interrupted and said, listen, I've got an MBA from Harvard, and I can help you. Here's what you need to do. First of all, you need to start fishing longer so you can catch more fish. And with the extra money, <clears throat> but it doesn't seem to help you, Joe. I don't understand. <clears throat> But with the extra money you make, you can buy a bigger boat. And with a bigger boat, you can even catch more fish. With more revenue, you can buy another boat, another boat. In fact, you can eventually have a whole fleet. In fact, then you can eventually cut out this middleman, and you can sell your fish directly to the plant. In fact, you can buy a plant and have your own plant. And then you can move out of this tiny little Mexican seaside village. You can move to, like, Mexico City or Los Angeles or even New York City. The Mexican man said, and then what? He said, oh, then it gets really good. Because then you can sell stocks and you can make millions. And then the Mexican man said, and then what? He said, uh, well, and then after that, you can retire and you can live in a tiny village near the coast. <laughs> you can sleep late. You can play with your children, catch a few fish. Take a siesta with your wife, spend the evenings with your friends, playing the guitar, and having a good life. You know, don't we sometimes miss the simplicity of enjoying life in the pleasant tense? And this morning, we're going to continue our series on God's wisdom for navigating 2021 and beyond. And we're actually going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Because really, the book of Proverbs is not the only wisdom book in the Bible. There are three. There's the book of Proverbs, there's the book of Ecclesiastes, and there's the book of Job. Today we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and next Sunday, the book of Job, and see what kind of wisdom God really intends for us to receive from these books. Now, what we're going to see from the book of Ecclesiastes is that it tells us the key to enjoying life. So on this Father's Day, we want to see what God says about wisdom and enjoying life, which is, of course, my hope for all the dads here that not just for today that we learn how to enjoy life, but there would be dads that know how to enjoy life the rest of our days. 
Now, we're going to see when we look into the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that there are three recurring themes throughout the book. Now, the first theme comes again and again throughout the book, a little bit like recurring notes in a symphony. It just keeps rising up. It's a major emphasis throughout the book, and this theme is simply this. Theme number one from the book of Ecclesiastes is we should all be intentional about enjoying life. Intentional about enjoying life. Let's just look at some of the verses of Ecclesiastes that point this out. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says, Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Ecclesiastes 8.13 so I commended pleasure, for there's nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. And Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7 through 9 says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness. And drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which is given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. So he's saying real simply this, enjoy life, be intentional about enjoying life. A very clear, simple theme that pops up over and over throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, God gives, like, God gives food for your table, so don't just gulp it down. Enjoy it. And if you have wine served to you and then you enjoy wine, he says, enjoy it well. Enjoy the gifts of God. He goes on to say, enjoy sex with the spouse God has given you. Enter into it. Live it to the hilt. See, in the Bible, it's not just a shame not to enjoy life. It's actually a sin not to enjoy life. It comes to us from a good, good God. And if we enter into it with thanksgiving and enjoy it, we are doing what he wants us to do. It is true. He wants us to seize the day, live life to the hilt, enjoy all of God's gifts. This is the first theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, a theme that apparently I think most Christians have missed in life, but it is right there in the Word of God. Now, there's a second theme that's real important. All these three themes work together and must be held together. The second theme in the book of Ecclesiastes is also the conclusion of the book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. 
So this conclusion here sounds very similar to what we see in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one might be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay, so now we need to put these two themes together. So live life to the hilt. Live it with great passion. Live it with great enjoyment. But live it responsibly. Because you and I, we're going to give an account to God for how we've lived out our life. So we live life with passion. We live life intentionally to enjoy life. But we live it within the boundaries of God's commandments. This is how a wise person lives life. Now, there is one more theme that's real important. If we don't understand this third theme, we will not enjoy life. This third theme is so important because there is something that can blot out the sunshine of enjoying life if we don't understand what that is and know how to see it appropriately. The third theme. And before we get to the third theme, let me ask you this question. How would you describe life if life was simply life here and now? If life, if there was no afterlife, if there was no God, there was no Christ, there was no heaven, you just lived and then died and never existed anymore. How would you describe that kind of life? Well, Nietzsche, the German philosopher, he considered that very question, and he concluded the only rational response, if that is tr the truth, is to commit suicide. Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes, as you study the book, you notice that this phrase, under the sun, occurs 36 times. 36 times Solomon uses the phrase under the sun to basically describe what life would be like on earth if all there was was life under the sun. And his conclusion is, is that if life was all there was was life under the sun, he concludes that it would be just futile. It would be meaningless. It would be just vanity. Here's what he says. He opens up the book this way. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verse 1 through 3, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Now, the word vanity can be translated meaningless. Some, some translations translate it futility. So the preacher's saying, basically, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. This is all there is. This is all just meaningless. Everything's meaningless. Futility everywhere I look. And by the way, the Apostle Paul actually agrees with Solomon on this point. Because the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, when Paul says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's not just talking about the hills and the trees and the rocks. He's talking about all of creation, which includes us, is subjected to futility. So Solomon 
and Paul agree that there is futility to life here and now. But Solomon gives us a hint where he's actually going with his thought early in the book. In fact, let's look at it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, he says this. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? God. So he points out that God is the essential ingredient to enjoying life because true, in, true satisfaction, true enjoyment, true fulfillment in life is not possible without a relationship with God. In fact, what God does is God gives meaning to it all. God gives meaning to so much that seems so meaningless. Now, so here's what he's saying. So we say, now, we're, we're to enjoy life, be intentional about it, but make sure you live it within the boundaries of the commandments of God because we are going to be judged. But now it's important to note something here. He's, he's now saying that there is, a, there is a futility and a vanity to life. And what he's going to go on to talk about in the book of Ecclesiastes is when he says it's all futility, He's not saying that when he says it's all meaningless, he's not saying that it's not worth living. He's not saying that. He's saying throughout the book is no matter how hard you try, you'll not be able to figure it all out. It may have meaning, but there's so much that's going to seem meaningless. You're not going to be able to figure it out. It's not going to seem right not going to seem fair. Things aren't going to work out like you think they should. Now Solomon is actually looking for the key to unlock the mystery of life. And he discovers during, as he's writing this book on the inspiration of the spirit, he discovers that God has the key and he's not giving it to men and women. Try as we will, Solomon says, you'll never figure it out. And then he's going to go on and say this a number of places. Let's look. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He says, he, talking about God, has made everything appropriate in its time. He's also set eternity in their heart. Yet, important yet here, so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. So God puts eternity in our hearts. I mean, we have this sense of being those who are going to live forever. He sets eternity in our hearts. But even though he set it in our hearts, we still can't put it all together. We can't put it all together. Basically, we're a little bit like someone who is addicted to filling out crossword puzzles but has a limited vocabulary. We just can't seem to fill in all the squares. He says the same thing in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. He says, times are good, be happy. When times are bad, 
That's when we start to ask the questions. Why? See, when life tumbles in on us, it doesn't go the way we think it should. That's when we consider. And it's perfectly understandable that we can consider all we want. We're not going to figure it all out. Not this side of heaven. There's a futility to life. We cannot put it all together. And he gives us example after example of this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's look at a couple of them. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, There's an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it's prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, but God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and severe affliction. You know, Tracy and I have been invited to some pretty high-priced dinners before, some fundraisers where someone purchased a table and asked us to sit at the table with them. And I've, I've noticed some interesting things that one particular time, the, the woman who purchased the table and out came all this fine food, and yet she couldn't eat it. She couldn't eat, she couldn't tolerate the prime ribs, she couldn't handle the rich desserts. You know, and that's the way it is sometimes, isn't it? I mean, Haddon Robinson rightly puts it this way. He says, when you're young and lean and hungry, all you can afford is hamburger helper. <laughs> and when you get along in life and you can choose anything on the menu, your teeth won't chew it, your cholesterol won't allow it, and your digestion can't handle it. So something about that is just, is just futile. I mean, it's... Also, look at this, chapter 9, verse 11. He gives another example of futility. He talks about success formulas. We have certain success formulas that we think should work a certain way. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, he says, I saw under the sun that the race is not always to the swift. The battle is not to the warriors. It doesn't always work that way. And neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. I don't know how many of you guys uh, are watching the NBA playoffs, but some of these teams had pulled together like the all-stars. Some of the best players in the history of basketball have been put on the same team. And what's interesting is all it takes is a sprained ankle and a pulled hamstring. Two of the stars are out, and the other team with less talent, wins. It doesn't seem right. But that's how it is oftentimes in much of life. That's what Solomon's trying to point out. And then he gets to this. The most difficult thing is the fact, is the reality of death. Here's what he says about death. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 14 to 15. He says, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befall, befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, will also befall me? Why then I've, have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. So he's talking about the futility of this as well. Death shows up in some of the most inconvenient 
times. Some of you remember years ago when one of our partners overseas was a man by the name of Stephen Hishi. Stephen Hishi was, he was actually a Tibetan Buddhist monk who became a follower of Jesus Christ. And we got connected with him and became great friends with him. Don and I both were friends with Stephen. Stephen was an incredibly talented man, spoke seven languages. And when we, and both Don and I traveled overseas, uh, we, he would often travel with us throughout the Himalaya region because he could just speak all these languages and he was so gifted. And I traveled, I got the opportunity to travel through Tibet, all through Tibet with Stephen. And he was so strategic. He, could have, he had so much to offer. And then in his low 50s, he gets cancer and dies. And it just makes no sense. I mean, we, this, we, this guy is strategic, Lord. And I think of that compared to we got men and women in nursing homes looking outside their windows with glossy eyes, don't even recognize their children. It's almost like death has lost their address. Solomon says, this, there's a futility to this. It must have meaning, but he says, I can't make sense of all this. So he gives example of example of the futility of what he sees happening around him. Let's look at another one, Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19. He says, thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. So here he's saying, here's a man who gives his whole life uh, to business, rising up early in the morning, working hard, going to bed late at night. And, and if you're going to live forever, of course, then that makes a lot of sense. But you're going to leave that to somebody else. And who knows whether or not he's going to be wise or a fool. So he's saying there's just, he's just seen all this utility around him. And his point is basically going to be this. If, you know, it's easy for that futility of what we see around us to bog us down right now such a way that we cannot enjoy life. It can blot out the sunshine of God's blessings on us when we see the futility around us. And many young people have actually thought that and have chosen suicide. Not because they wanted to die, but because life seems so futile and so painful that why not just check out of it? So what do you do? What do you do when you finally see all this futility around you? I mean, do you just give up? Or do you just live it up? Or do you look up? And that's what Solomon basically wants us to understand. It is crucial that we believe that God is sovereign so we can live with the mystery of what we don't get. If I, I've got to believe that God is sovereign, if I'm going to be able to live life with so many questions I don't have answers to, or I'm going to get bogged down and I'm not going to be able to enjoy life at all. Solomon, by the way, is not a cynic and he's not a skeptic. And many people have thought he was. Actually, he's a person of faith. And if you read through the book carefully, his faith bubbles up throughout the book. It just bubbles up. One of the things that bubbles up is that he believes God is sovereign. Let's look at some of the verses we've already looked at, but look at them again. Ecclesiastes 3.11. 
He has made everything appropriate in its time. He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. Chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. In the, in the day of adversity, consider, now look at the rest of it. God has made the one as well as the other. Solomon believes God's sovereign. That's very clear in this book. He believes it. Now, Solomon doesn't understand the plot line, but he knows God does. He knows God understands the plot line. There have been many times in my life, I must confess, that I really thought I had life figured out a lot better than I really did. There's been times I thought I had figured out how God worked and the way he worked and when he worked that way, and then something will happen that totally blows my thesis apart. And I fall back on the sovereignty of God once again. You know, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, he does say in Romans 8.20 that all whole creation is subject, subjected to futility, Romans 8.20. But in Romans 8.28, he says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. So just eight verses later, he affirms the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. See, God's eye is not only over history, but his hand is on history. God controls history. And trusting that God is sovereign and good is key to allowing us to enjoy life. That is really key. It's so easy for us to get bogged down with so many things that are happening around us or to us that blot out the sunshine of his goodness and his sovereignty. So it's crucial that we believe he's good and he's sovereign. Solomon says, don't let the clouds of questions that so fill your sky blot out the sunshine of the good things that God is trying to give you every day. This is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. We can't figure it all out. We can't. But we can live life in the presence of a sovereign, good God that we have decided to trust. God never promises us answers. He only gives us himself. You know, God never says, I'm going to explain myself to you guys one day. He doesn't have to explain himself. He's God. Somebody asked Mrs. Einstein one time whether or not she understood Professor Einstein's theory of relativity. She said, no, I don't understand the theory of relativity, but I do understand Mr. Einstein. That's all I need. So the message of Ecclesiastes is you can't understand all that's happening to you or around you. You can't. But you can trust the one who does and is controlling it all. So as you live life trusting him, be deliberate about enjoying life. Of course, doing so within the parameters of obeying God. Let me say this last thing here that's really important I want us to get here. Some of you are living life in sorrow and grief and pain over something that you do not understand and you cannot control. Let it go. Let it go. And trust the one who does understand it. 
and can control and enjoy life in the meantime under a good God who's got it all. And to you dads, happy Father's Day. Enjoy every minute of it. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we're so glad that we belong to you today, that you're a good, good father, that you're the sovereign king. And Lord, we try to figure out so much, and we try to control so much, and we just want today to just let it go, trust you. So Lord, we just want to take all these burdens that weight us down and keep us in sorrow and grief, and, and just keep us from enjoying the good gifts that you're pouring out, we just give them to you. We give them to you, and we trust you. And Lord, I just pray blessing on every, every dad here, and, and I pray blessing on everyone who communicates with the Father today, that they'll be a blessing to them, and bless every gathering, Lord. We thank you so much, and most of all, we thank you for you. pray all this in Jesus' name.